0: What's up, sportsballers? Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Sportsball Podcast. In this episode, Andrew and I discuss Kelly Bryant and the whole transfer situation in college football, specifically at Clemson. We also regale you with tales from our trip to Ann Arbor to watch Michigan absolutely obliterate Nebraska last weekend. Also, uh, we check in on baseball because guess what? The playoff starts tonight. And then we discuss. mm, I get a little angry. Mm, Angry may be a strong term. Uh, A bit peeved about the whole win loss record thing for pitchers and quality starts and why Jacob DeGrom is going to be 10 and 9 and still probably win the Cy Young, which is a good thing. Anyways, all of this and a little NHL and NASCAR tip at the end.
1: Greetings over there, Cam. What's up, Andrew? Not too much. Since we last spoke, Nebraska remains defeated.
0: <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, man.
1: That's all right. All right.
0: You going you gonna to make it? I am. It is October.
1: <laughs> We've got playoff baseball. College football is getting better. Uh, yeah, can't complain.
0: I appreciate your uh, your spirit, Andrew. You're just looking on the bright side.
1: Uh, I try. There's bigger things in life than
0: football. This is true. Though I will say uh, I had to watch Michigan's comeback win against Northwestern at like midnight the other night. And so I had to be silent essentially the whole time while I was watching Michigan steam back from a 17-0 deficit to win 20-17. to And it was like really hard not to yell whilst my wife and child were asleep 20 feet away. I'm sure. It was, whew, that was a doozy, though. But anyways, uh, since we're on the topic of college football, um, since we last spoke, there's been a, there's been a little drama down there at uh, Clemson. Yeah,
1: actually, we saw this uh, drama play out a few weeks prior in Nebraska in almost the exact same uh, scenario where um, you know they, they, they name a starter, I guess, kind of moving forward full-time and then said starter gets injured, but backup has already decided that he's going to transfer, and now they're down to a third-string quarterback. So, uh, yeah, Trevor Lawrence goes out with a neck injury on Saturday, and uh, Kelly Bryant, he has decided he's going to take his services elsewhere.
0: Yeah, so the whole situation is really interesting to me because there's this new rule where if you play four games or less, you can still count that year as a red shirt year and you can transfer and play elsewhere without having to sit out a year. And what I find interesting about this whole situation is that Dabo Sweeney comes out and said he's saddened and disappointed by the situation that Bryant made to leave. But then in the very next paragraph of this article it says that I certainly could have started in this week, which would have limited his options going forward, but that's not how we operate here. That's not who we are. So it's like you're saddened and disappointed that he's leaving the program, but you told him this in time so that he could leave the program because you're not the type of guy to hold a guy that doesn't – so like it doesn't make any sense to me. Like he's playing the, oh, it sucks that this kid made a really bad decision to leave the program and trying to make yourself look good. But then at the same time, you're essentially saying you made this decision knowing that he was going to leave anyways. Which makes no sense to me. He's trying to play the sympathy card, but and trying to make himself look good in this scenario when he did it in time for him to be able to leave. So I I don't understand what's going on.
1: Yeah, it's it's an interesting rule, and it's an interesting move because, yeah, did did Dabo play his cards so that you know, like you said, uh, Kelly could transfer. Uh, Because, yeah, he could have said Trevor Lawrence is our full-time starter beginning week six, and that maybe changes the dynamic a little bit if Kelly Bryan had played in five games, and now this this year is more or less his eligibility is done. Um, I mean, I think you, you saw the same thing with Alabama and Tua and Jalen Hurts. Jalen hasn't transferred yet. I'm not sure the number of games he's played in. Um, I would assume he's gotten some action in all of them, given their scores. And so his options may be limited. But, um, yeah, and I think the rule is going to go both ways. I hope that it there are more benefits than there are um, downsides um, to it, because I think it is nice for guys to get some experience if, if games are out of hand or if they can get some experience in a road game. Maybe if they are a, a quarterback, something like that, they can travel. Uh, but yeah, if it's going to start tearing rosters apart by the end of September, then I think it's going to have to be reevaluated. But but maybe give it a year or two, and, and we'll see on the flip side. There was a Nebraska linebacker who got hurt Saturday. He's done for the season, and normally they'd have to go through a medical hardship uh, waiver process to try to give him another year of eligibility, and now that just automatically occurs. So those benefits exist as well, uh, but yeah... It's, it's going to create some locker room drama and some management on behalf of the coaches, for sure.
0: Yeah, and so there was another article um, where they were talking to Hunter Renfro, who's uh, now going to be one of the backup quarterbacks, even though he's a wide receiver, because, yeah, you let you let Kelly Bryant go, and you've got one really good quarterback and one backup who before Saturday had thrown eight passes in a game. Yeah. So, like, I, I just... I. Again, I don't understand why Sweeney puts his team in that situation. Like, he had to have known that Bryant was going to leave, which is why he made the decision this week. Like, that's not just a coincidence. You don't say that in an interview and it'd be a coincidence. Like, there was thought behind this. So you leave yourself with two quarterbacks, one of whom is completely green. It just seems like a big risk to take, especially in, you know, what has become a really competitive division, you know, with college football implications on, on their program. And, uh, anyways, in the article with Renfro is like, essentially he goes week four becomes the trade deadline. Who's going to stay on the team and who's going to be here for the long haul and who's right. going to leave. And so it's like, you go into the season, the first four games, not even sure if this is the team that you're going to be able to finish the season with. Right. Right. And it just, yeah, it adds a, a, a dimension to college football that i don't like to your point with with that kid that got injured makes total sense mm-hmm. but this whole like well i was a starter now i'm not so i'm gonna leave business like well be better you know but yeah
1: those that that and the the whole well we're not in a meaningful ball game and i'm a senior and i want to keep my draft stock I don't feel like I can gain much in terms of draft stock, but I could be injured or I could lose draft stock. So I'm not going to play. I, I'd say those are the two greatest issues with with um, with college football right now. Yeah, it, you know, college basketball has a, an important amount of transfers, even more so than college football. Uh, but now, you know, is that is that number in college football going to match that of of college basketball with this? This rule and then the the, the bull game nonsense, so yeah, those kind of those those two flaws are, are frustrating, but um, certainly doesn't change the the product I don't think overall
0: no, but I think it's so like the the main difference between those two issues and I agree with you those are two very big issues it's like this whole four game thing is fixable just remove the rule right you can't like what what's your recourse if a senior decides he's not going to play? his bowl game. Like you can't suspend him from the team cause he's already done. Right. Like there's no, and you can't like kidnap him and force him to play. Like that doesn't work either. So uh, that one I think is, is a much harder nut to crack. Yeah. Um, than this one, but you know, like you said, give it a few years. Let's see if it becomes ludicrous or if, you know, everyone settles down after the first two years and kids start, you know, honoring their commitments, but, you know, football and commitment is a bit of a joke. You know, contracts don't mean anything anymore. This is true. Especially among coaches. So, anyways, I just – I thought it was a really interesting situation because it happened in such a high-profile program, you know, with a high-profile player. Um And it's just, you know, they almost lost to Syracuse because of it, which is hysterical Uh uh-huh. because Syracuse is just – that game had no business being even – Close, let alone a comeback win for Clemson. So, yeah, oh,
1: well. Syracuse might be like the new Northwestern. Like you don't want to see them on your schedule. They they've played, they they beat Clemson in Syracuse a couple years. Was that last year?
0: Mm.
1: The, the, Syracuse was taking down some giants, like you, But then they they produce a five and seven record. But yeah, you, I feel like they're like, just you just don't trust them.
0: Yeah, no, they got a they got a puncher's chance. So anyways, yeah, drama in college football. I, you know, I don't really care for Clemson or, or Debo Sweeney, but whatever. I don't have to, I don't have to watch him or cheer for him, but I would have, I would have laughed very hard had they lost this game to Syracuse in the wake of all of this. It would have just been like, "Hmm, well, that's That's, what happens. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, we went to Ann Arbor last weekend. We did. We
1: had a, a great time.
0: And we went we saw the Michigan and uh, Nebraska football game. And we sat in, I would say, a fairly mixed section. Uh, a lot of Nebraska fans, but definitely some Michigan fans as well. And yeah. I, I don't know what you thought. I thought our seats were awesome. Yeah. Um, just we were in the end
1: zone, kind of not really a, a corner per se. Um we, looked no, we were down. like
0: – we yeah. were in between the field goal post and the the end zone pylon so like we had a we had a clear view uh of the field and so you could you could see the offensive plays you know develop and you know try to read the defense and so like it was a really really cool instead of watching it from the side you're watching it from the end zone so you can see the formations and the patterns and who's going to blitz and it was just i really enjoyed watching the game from that vantage point it was really fun
1: yeah, it was a, kind of like a Madden view. Like, you could see the plays open up, the holes open up. Exactly. You could see Jim wasn't very frustrated much much during the day. There were a few, a few times where he, he hiked up his khaki pants, but um, a lot more frustration on the opposite sideline throughout, throughout the course of the day. But uh, that's, the, that's the way it goes. There's some growing pains in Lincoln, and, um, but, but Northwestern, or excuse me, Michigan looked really damn good that day, and, um, and that's going to be a, a a tough team especially uh as ohio state continues to squeak by uh the skin of its teeth each week here
0: well again michigan's michigan's issue is consistency on offense um that northwestern game was just showed showed the inconsistency and the weaknesses that are still there um but it's going to be put up or shut up time here. We got Maryland uh, on Saturday, but after that it's Penn state, Michigan state in um, Wisconsin. So like, it's, you know, it quickly, our season will be become uh, clearly defined if, if we're going to compete for the division or if we're, you know, going to be competing for the Gator bowl. So,
1: yeah, I don't think you can read too much into that result in Evanston. I mean, they, no, it's I'm... always a, a tough place to play. They kind of
0: junk up the game. And, and... what did I say last episode? Northwestern yep. like always plays Michigan incredibly tough, especially in Evanston. We, I think, the last two or three games in Evanston, we have barely come out of there with a win. Yep. Um, so I was not at all surprised with the final score. I was just surprised with how it got there you know being down 17 nothing and scoring 20 unanswered points to win is not how i expected the game to go i wasn't surprised that it was a field goal game but yikes man but what i what i enjoyed about it is in the third quarter you could see like i mean the defense for 3 quarters was lights out and the offense finally picked it up but you could see like in the players like uh a body language and demeanor and the way that they were talking to each other Like, on the field, on the sidelines, like, they knew they were going to win the game. Like, there was that confidence in the team, even though the odds were against them that they were going to win the game. And then the plays they made to make that happen. So, like, it just, it was really, it was really good to see them come together and, and, you know, beat a good opponent and do it on the road. Like, that's a huge, you know, hopefully, hopefully a huge step forward for them. Yep, for sure. So, um, while also while we were in Ann Arbor, we, uh, we went to Zingerman's Deli and the beer grotto and the beer grotto. And it was lovely. So if you're ever in the area, you know, Ann Arbor, I don't know why you'd be there other than to go to Ann Arbor, but you guys should go check it out. Go to the big house. It's a ton of fun.
1: It's a, it's a big house.
0: It is. Oh, and we made a little video that's on our Instagram TV account or channel. I should say.
1: So. Which like thirty seconds of the video is me staring at your car outside the terminal.
0: <laughs> I was laughing so hard. I cut like a minute and a half off that section of the video because this thing is a bit too long. But uh, yeah, it was probably a good forty-five seconds where I was just staring at you, and you had no idea that I was there. It was
1: yeah. For some reason, I had a different uh, color car in my head that you, that you drove, but that's all right. I eventually eventually saw you claim claim you. There's apparently, and I apologize. There's apparently a, a dog outside. Cause my dog has decided to join the the podcast here
0: uh, I mean he hasn't prognosticated in a while, so he's probably feeling a bit undervalued uh there's
1: some There's some kids on
0: on bikes
1: running down the street uh gang gang youth, and he apparently wants to to go out and get them
0: well, you know what else is going on in the sports world tonight uh, Mid-league baseball playoff wildcard games. Indeed. Yes. The, uh, my now hometown Chicago Cubs. Oh, please. Weird to, yeah. Weird to say, right? So tonight is the first wildcard game: it's the Cubs and the Rockies and the winner uh, has the pleasure of playing the Milwaukee Brewers in the NLDS. And then Toronto has the American League Wild Card game and it's the Oakland Athletics versus the New York Baseball Yankees and they get the pleasure of going. The winner of that gets the pleasure of playing um the Boston Red Sox in the ALDS.
1: And then it's the, the Astros and the Indians, and yep. the Dodgers and the Braves. Braves, that's right. Yep. Yeah. So I was a little bit aware of this trend during the season, but I didn't pay a whole lot of attention. I mean, this was probably one of the more boring baseball seasons. Outside of those two races, the the NL Central and the NL West, that came down to the game 163, the rest of the divisions were, I mean, Cleveland had the AL Central wrapped up since pretty much the All-Star break. The Braves looked good. But apparently the, the thing to watch this this playoff season this october is going to be how these teams now approach their pitching and the fact that a few of them no longer have starting pitchers but they more or less term them as opening pitchers and they'll go two maybe three innings and then the final six innings are just what amounts to closers one after another
0: Baseball, baseball is such a sport of fads. Yep, like this is the thing. A couple years ago, it was if you're in the National League, it was putting your pitcher in the eighth slot and having the ninth slot being your second leadoff guy, and like there's always there's always something. Uh, You know, ten years ago or fifteen years ago, whatever it was, it was uh, employing the shift on defense. There's just always, you know, like the new hotness in baseball, and this happens to be the newest hotness. Is yeah, opening pitchers not starters. What's the difference? They both start the game. Well, and this this
1: kind of springs from from how the Royals approached their well, really 2015 season, and to a degree the second part of their 2014 season, where their basic formula at its core was. Score four runs offensively in the first six innings. Hope that the starting pitcher can get us through those first six innings and then give it handed it over to the bullpen. Mm-hmm. And what they would bring out, um, Herrera, Davis, and Holland. And now the A's in their money ball ways didn't mean to rhyme there, um, have stretched this kind of to the extreme, it's almost like Little League, like, all right, Jimmy, we're going to send you out there for two innings tonight, and then we're going to try out uh, John, and then Cam, and then Joe, and then Dave will finish us off in the sixth, and we'll just hope we win tonight. Like, it's like a predetermined pitching lineup.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, I, I was kind of bashing on it as a fad, but, like, if it works you know what's the harm like you're not really worried about quality starts as a stat in the playoffs you know and i don't really know why i mean we can we're going to get into this here in a second when uh we talk about um uh, Jacob DeGrom uh and the whole wins and losses stat as a pitcher as a starting pitcher and why i think it's the stupidest stat out there for pitchers but like I mean, the whole point of the playoffs is is to win, and it doesn't matter how you do it, you know? And if that means that you have to buck tradition, which is a huge thing in baseball, and not, you know, have a guy that's pegged to go anywhere from, you know, five to nine innings, why not keep their arms fresh and have them go three so that if game seven pops up and you need to use them a third time, there's less, especially after 162 games. Like, yeah. It's just such a stupidly long season. And the fact that we had two teams, or four teams, I guess, that had to go play a 163rd game just to figure out who can play a 164th game in the wild card is ludicrous to me. Well, and
1: those required a special approach, too, because those weren't – all those teams were still in the playoffs regardless. They still had another game to play. None of them could put all their chips in on the table. They had to manage their bullpens. They had to manage their their pitching because they had a game. They potentially had another game. Now the, the Brewers and the Dodgers get two days rest. They can reset things a little bit. But the uh, the, the Cubs and the, the Rockies had to turn right back around tonight. Um, so, yeah, it, is it a, like a long-term trend where we're going to start going every night and you're going to see – a starting pitcher for three innings, and and you know we rarely see now a, a starting pitcher that records more than a hundred and twenty innings in a year. I mean, is that is that where we're headed? I
0: don't know. I think the, so. The
1: benchmark is no longer a uh, uh, you know a twenty win season and and two hundred innings.
0: No, because wins don't matter for pitchers. I again, I, like we can we'll get to that in a second because i'm not I'm, i'm not quite done with this whole section real quick but like the issue to me is that regular season baseball and playoff baseball almost seem like two different games with how they're managed with what strategies are employed with you know how people approach at bats you see guys running out grounders to shortstops in the playoffs like it's Comparing a game in October to a game in June or July is like – it's like comparing professional baseball to, like, high school baseball. Yeah. Because the game in June – like, it doesn't. it's one of 162. And, yeah, I know every once in a while every game matters when you have the 163rd game playoff. But it is it is hard as a fan to get excited about a baseball season that lasts as long as it does – when there is seemingly so much insignificance during games, then when you get to playoff baseball, holy crap, it's amazing because every single pitch matters, right? Right. And so I just, as a sports fan, it's hard for me to be a baseball fan during the regular season because it's just so boring. Yep. But I just, some base playoff baseball, like I have. I have swimming lessons with my daughter in fifty minutes and the Cubs game starts at seven oh eight. I will be home for the Cubs game tonight because you get to watch the best baseball in the playoffs. And I don't know what, if anything, Major League Baseball can do to try and bring the two or to try and bring regular season baseball to be more like postseason baseball. But I just they're never gonna play less games because that means they'll make less money. Right. So I think we're just kind of screwed. Yeah, it's
1: it's an interesting dilemma. Um, it's it's hard, to, like you said, to find another sport where uh, the regular season and the the postseason contrast so much. I mean, the, the, the NBA pick...
0: the NBA would be second, I'd say.
1: Yeah, the the NBA and its its defense and its strategy, but but on the same token, I feel like the NFL and the playoffs becomes a much more defensive minded league. Um, to to a degree, you're no longer the the teams that win in January. Are typically, the teams with some of the better defenses. Mm-hmm. Whereas through the the rest of the season, it's maybe your offense that that gets you uh, some games won. But yeah, as far as baseball goes, it's it's really hard to pinpoint and go. All right, how can we, you know. The the law of averages tends to just kind of work itself out over 162 games.
0: Um, Right, and that would be any any diehard baseball fan's argument for the reason why there's that many games is that after so much baseball, you generally have an accurate view of who's good and who isn't. You know? So I suppose that's fair. I just... Oh, it's such a long season.
1: Uh, but once we get here, it's it's an like you said, postseason baseball is as good as he gets. The playoffs are done. We are done in 29 days from now. There is not a shorter professional postseason. Um. And so yeah, from from here on out, every night there will be just great baseball on, um, and and that makes it that makes it fun to watch. But yeah. That that Royals Tigers series last week, who boy, like, yeah, just as meaningless as it gets. Um, Yeah, but like you said, you're you're not going to shorten the season. Um, You know, the the only thing I've I've heard, and I don't know how much wind it it has, but I've read lately that there's there's a little momentum, and I don't think it'll be this year, next year, it may not be within five years, but to go to how it used to be with a first half winner and a second half winner, and you know they somehow find their way in the playoffs. Or you do the top two and two. That's how the minor leagues do it because those rosters can change so dramatically over the course of a season. You don't know, mm-hmm. determine a, a first half winner and a second half winner. That's how Major League Baseball used to be: was you, know, you just had the American League and the National League. The the two winners would meet, and then they'd meet in the World Series. And, um, you know, the class has expanded. But I think that would be the only way you could really kind of improve the the number of meaningful games over
0: the course of a season. Yeah. And as you can hear, my dogs have decided to join the
1: – Well, it's just, we're just having a doggone good time today.
0: Oh, love the pun. So, all right. So now, while we're on the subject of things in baseball that bother me – I want to talk about the win-loss stat. Uh, There's a strong case for Jacob deGrom of the New York Mets to win the NL Cy Young this year. He only has 10 wins on the season. But he has something like 17 quality starts. What's his ERA? Well, I would tell you that, but my dogs are barking. So let me see if they're (laughs) done barking and I can go back to my computer.
1: I hate because...
0: it. Because All right, let me pull it up real quick. I had this ready but then they started. Okay, Jacob DeGrom, he just recorded his 1000th career strikeout on his last pitch of the season no less. He has <clears throat> a major league best 1.70 ERA as a starter.
1: He how is, in is, how inept was the Mets offense this year? Oh is, my god
0: goodness he has a 10 and 9 record striking out uh let's see blah, blah, blah. he retired the final 20 hitters yada 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 uh de gave up no more than three runs in his last 29 starts so tell me i can't i can't tell you there's there's no reason why does it matter like and so for so long pitchers have been judged on wins and losses. And 10 years ago, 5 years ago, a pitcher that was 10 and 9 wouldn't probably be considered for the Cy Young despite the fact that he has a 1.7 ERA and has given up three or fewer runs for 29 straight starts.
1: How many starts did he have this year? Like 37, 38 somewhere there.
0: Um, roughly. Yeah. Let me see. Since the all-star or sorry, he has had, he had 24 quality starts this year. The most in a single season in MLB history, 24 quality starts. That means he got to the sixth inning with the lead and he only had 10 wins. So that's 14 quality starts that were blown by his team. So
1: here's, here's a thought. What if instead of, you know, when they say, you know, uh, Jacob DeGrom will be on the hill tomorrow night with his 10 9 record a 1. 7 ERA, and a 1.7 ERA. They say tomorrow night the Cardinals will face Jacob DeGrom who has had 24 quality starts this year and a 1.7 ERA. Like what if what if we the, do- the the quality start the dominant statistic along with the ERA?
0: Yeah. I'm totally okay with that because what you're doing when you cite the pitcher's win-loss record is You're citing how his team handled his pitch. Sometimes the win-loss record can be accurate, but a majority of the time, it's to your point. Why the quality starts is a better stat. Is the quality start is directly related to the pitcher's performance and the pitcher's performance. And and remind that you know, including uh, including perhaps like a defensive error or something like that, but it's mostly the pitchers. Uh, performance that dictates a quality start or not. Whereas a winner loss can be uh, adversely, you know, um, oh, how do I want to say this? A, a, a pitcher can go from a winning pitcher to a losing pitcher based on things he does not do. Like he can be on the bench and go from a winning pitcher to a losing pitcher through no fault of his own. So, uh, yeah, to your point, I think the quality starts is a much better stat that is far more uh, accurate in representing what the pitcher has actually done. And
1: reminding the viewers at home, what a quality start is? It's
0: six six innings pitched, six or more innings pitched, and uh, leaving the game with the lead. I believe. Let me just double check that last part,
1: though. The only uh, you know the only rub on this is we were discussing the opener who will only be in the game two to three innings and will not record a quality
0: start hardly ever. Well, then, yeah. All right, so a starting pitcher records a quality start when he pitches at least six innings and allows three earned runs or fewer. So there you go. It's not even about leaving the game with a lead. It's about allowing three runs or It'd be fewer. tough to walk into an office
1: every day with as much ineptitude as Jacob DeGrom walked into at City Field every day. Because you leave a game with a... giving up fewer than three runs... After the sixth inning and you only win ten of those games. Ten of those twenty-four games. Come on. Come on,
0: Mets. Whoa. Well, and what's funny, yeah, they didn't make the playoffs. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> let's let's hold on, let's just take a peek real quick at where the Mets finished this year. The New York Mets finished 77 and 85 for fourth place in the NL East.
1: Wow, you think so? I know, right. but you'd think it's 77 and 85 that, although the, the law of averages works out, I mean, you can't win, you're not going to win every fifth night, but boy, he, when he puts you in a position to, to win 14 more games, that's
0: rough. Mm-hmm, because they were only 13 games yeah. back of the yeah. like, Braves, so, mm. I mean, anyways, that's, I'm kind of off my soapbox now on on that, I just wanted to get that out there, um, if there are any uh, baseball, uh, you know, not purists, but like, nerds. you know, yeah, baseball nerds that, that want to, uh, I don't know, push back on that, or, you know. Give us more information. Um, you know, I'd be totally open to hearing what other people have to say about that because I can always learn. I want my buddy Nick to call, in. we had we have a a, a a podcast called Mendoza Line that's about baseball that is kind of on hiatus right now. But he's a uh, he knows everything about baseball, so maybe I'll uh, pick his brain and have some follow up for us next week about so this. That sounds good. Uh, I do have uh, one final thing Go to for mention. It. NHL starts tomorrow.
1: Uh, that's another one. Let me know when the playoffs start,
0: <sighs> dude. But the Red Wings did so good this off season, or sorry, this preseason. Oh. Anyways, hockey starts tomorrow, and now that I live in the north, people here, you know, actually appreciate that sport. So I'm excited that I will actually be able to get to watch hockey on television, like on a regular basis now. It's very yeah. Exciting. Yeah, yeah,
1: we're kind of in a hockey wasteland here.
0: Yeah, oh man, it was brutal. Alright, that's all I wanted to add. Is there uh, How's NASCAR going? Are you watching it, or are you still playing?
1: Uh, no, it? this weekend they raced in Charlotte on a Roval, which is a road course and an oval. Oh, Lord, and oh it was wild roval. and crazy. TV ratings were up, and playoffs are in full swing. We're three weeks away from the Hollywood Casino 400 at Kansas Speedway. And uh, my boy, Ryan Blaney, in the... Um, excuse me, the Menards Ford. Uh, he took home the victory after Jimmy Johnson and Martin Trucks Jr. spun each other out in the final turn, And then he just, like, was in the right spot at the right time. So,
0: Ryan Blaney... On the final turn? Yeah, final turn. Sorry, it took me a second to catch that. That sucks. Did they both finish, like, last and second to last, or did they just get a No, DNF? they...
1: They just, like, spun each other out. So they were able to finish. I, I don't remember... I would imagine both of them finished at least in the top 15. But, yeah, they went from uh, almost going one, I mean, being 100 feet away from being uh, not 100 feet, oh probably God. like 400 feet away from being a to, uh 1-2 to Ryan Blaney uh, hoisting the trophy on Sunday.
0: Sunday. Wow. And this is the playoff, yeah. right? So that's a huge hit to their points. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, I bet. Who who hit who?
1: Um, Jimmy Johnson kind of got in the back of Martin Trucks Jr. And then, um, yeah, they kind of locked up and spun out. Oh, man.
0: Oh, dude. Was there any fist fighting afterwards? No.
1: Jimmy was apologetic.
0: Oh, man. I'd have been so peeved if I was the guy in first place. (laughs) Oh, man. Chuck my helmet as as he drove by. Well Like who's that? That did that a long time ago. I guess ago? he
1: did run into him. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. Like give him a friendly bump after the race was over while they were still driving around the the course. So, Yeah. Mm.
0: Well, NASCAR.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I might have to. I might have to watch one race this year just to be a good friend. I appreciate that. Maybe I'll watch a hockey game. Hey, there you go. That's a fair trade. We can take notes and discuss. For me, that. at least
1: I understand offsides in hockey. <laughs> Don't cross the blue line before the puck does. It's
0: quite simple. Yep, there you go. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go take my daughter to swim lessons. Good luck. Enjoy that. I will talk to you later, man. Peace.